TahashiCast, navigating cloud adoption for C-suites. The podcast dedicated to empowering C-suite executives as they navigate the complexities of cloud adoption. Welcome to the HashiCast Cloud Navigator podcast. I'm Christian Riley, field CTO here at HashiCorp, alongside my co-hosts, my other field CTO, Sarah Polan. Hello. And our strategic advisor, Adil Ahmad. Hello. We will be helping you navigate the complexities of cloud adoption. From taking the first steps to committing to the cloud through to compliance, we have an amazing lineup of topics and guest experts to give us their insights along the way. And so with that, let's get started on episode one, committing to the cloud. So today, Adil, Sarah, and myself will be discussing the importance of cloud adoption. So if you need to know more about cloud adoption and getting your organization to a level of cloud maturity that you're happy with, then this podcast is for you. So let's dive in. I wanted to start by mentioning the cloud operating model, which I'm sure Sarah and Adil will know very well, because that's one of the primary things that drives our strategy and our thinking here at HashiCorp. So we're going to talk a little bit about the cloud operating model. And, you know, if you think about it, Sarah, Adil, it's kind of interesting. It must be at least 15 years since I've personally been involved in cloud adoption. And I've never really seen anything as simple as the cloud operating model. If, if you sort of think about it and sort of step back and you say, well, what are some of the huge changes that we've seen? Well, obviously, the way that infrastructure gets consumed and provisioned from on-prem to cloud, what that means to you know the different types of infrastructures that we used to have, physical versus virtual, and the different types of networking that we have, and the different ways in that you actually secure things and the way you deliver applications. The operating model, I think, the way I think about it, is kind of the evolution of traditional IT into what's become cloud-delivered and cloud-deployed infrastructure and applications. I think that everybody is in some kind of adoption of the cloud operating model. The only thing that I see differently is where those customers are in either their aspiration, their capability, or a combination of the two. Yeah, I think it gets really easy to sort of fixate on what we've always done. And I think what we're realizing now is what we've always done isn't necessarily working because of the required agility and velocity and the faster time to market that we're experiencing just across the board. From my point of view, it's very much probably a people and processes side of the equation that has been thrown out of equilibrium, but also understanding the why behind it. Why are we trying to adopt a cloud operating model and what is the benefit for our organization? And frequently the response is it was a mandate or we want to save money, but there's no clear driver or clear strategy behind that. So trying to evoke that and doing that with a cloud operating model, I think facilitates that quite a lot to understand where are the bottlenecks within your organization and how do you start applying this operating model so that you have a seamless interaction, regardless of whether you're on-prem or you call that private cloud maybe, or one of the public clouds, all of that should sort of feel the same across the board. The why here is critical. If we accept that the cloud operating model is fluid, i.e. the principle tenets of the cloud operator model can manifest differently from organization to organization. That's the acceptance that's needed. In, and in the journey of my experience working with customers thus far, I've seen a struggle where they have this prescribed notion of this target operator model. Most of the times replicates what they have done in, on the data center, but because they have this preconceived notion of what they think the operating model needs to be, the question of why doesn't come up anymore. If you're adopting the cloud for whatever reason they are, whether it's cost control or speed of market, 
the speed of adopting that cloud is always a question that comes up and how much of the application estate has been adopted to the cloud. The problem and the challenge, coming back to your point, Sarah, about people and process, is that it comes back to this preconceived notion that many enterprises have of the operating model, which mimics what they may have done in the data center. For example, they add layers of firewalls and load balances and middleware in between a compute resource and the user. In reality, is that compute resource an actual compute resource as you would have seen in the data center? Or is it just an API call? And if it is just an API call, that changes the operating model. So coming back to your point about the why, if we don't really put that at the forefront and be willing to make some flexibility around the cloud operator model. It needs to be what makes sense to that organization. And it needs to be driven by something, again, personally, I believe is the cloud consumption model. So if you understand how applications are to be consuming the cloud, that will help you define the target operator model. That comes back to Christian's question around what are we seeing with customers? There's various different stages in their journey. But most of them are still within that problem statement of how can we accelerate the adoption of the cloud? I would so tend I, to agree. You know, I want to go kind of go back a little bit and, and think about this from the point of view of the simplicity that I mentioned about the cloud operating model. If you think about all the complexities that many enterprise customers have, and you know, you got to remember that everybody's on this journey selectively to your point of deal, right? And I think if you say, what we've always done in the past won't work in the future because the way that you provision infrastructure, the way you manage it, the way you observe it, the way you secure it, and even some of the time to live of some of these microservices and components of an application are very different than we've seen in monoliths that we had on-premises for years and years and years. So if you think about those foundational principles of having to do something differently, they drive most organizations to this idea that, hey, we've got to do something differently, not only with the infrastructure, but everything above it. And when you set off on that journey, this navigation of, of cloud adoption is usually a pretty big challenge, right? Because if you think about it in the context of what we saw in traditional data centers, there were people who knew server infrastructure. There were people who knew storage area networks. There were people who knew data center networking. There were people who understood databases and instances and so on. And that really changes quite a bit when you start to think about how we deploy and how we consume resources in public clouds. So I think when you think about the 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 cloud operating model, I like to think about it as a really simple blueprint for how you actually get your organization from the starting gate to something that fundamentally changes the way you operate. You know, the three phases that we talk about in the in the cloud operating model are adopting, standardizing, and scaling. From an adopting perspective, I think everybody, one way or another, has kicked the tires on something. So different teams have had their hands on different IAC or infrastructure as code tooling. And then that means that all those different teams do things slightly differently. And we learn from that and we say, well, okay, there must be a better way to do that. And we move away from the adopting piece to, to more of a standardization approach, all focused on the workflows and how we get the best out of those workflows. And then, of course, when we get to scale, it's a case of making sure that when these new phenomenons like platform teams or platform engineering are adopted within an organization, we can then wrap you know, not only the cloud pieces, but the private estate around it, believing, as I do, that multi-cloud or hybrid cloud, whichever way you want to think about it, was always going to be the predominant model. You know, I remember somebody said to me years and years ago when we were having an argument about public and private cloud, they said, it's really simple. You just use the best workload for the right reason at the right time. And I think that piece of advice alone is absolutely genius from the point of view of what it meant and how that stood the test of time. Let's switch gears a little bit 
how can you help me to get to where I really need to be? And I know that's a really interesting question, right? Because every customer that we engage with is at a different point of the journey. So I'm going to put my customer hat on and say to you guys, okay, I understand what Hashi does. I understand the value of your tools. Where should I be? How do I find out where I am and where should I be and how do I get there? Because that's a question that comes up a lot. The most important question to understand is where do you want to be? There's a target eventually that you would like to try to attain, but you want to get to a certain point, whether that's all of your workloads on cloud or 20% migration, I don't care. But then roll that back a little bit. Why again, do you want to be there? Because it all boils down to what is your business goal? How do you want to achieve it? Um, And then looking at the ways that you want to do that. Then from there, we can start looking at, okay, where is your pain? What kind of pain are you feeling? Is it because you have bottlenecks in your CICD? Is it because you're being forced down this ITSM route when you're trying to be a really agile shop? There are lots of different things to examine. And it's, again, not just a technology issue. I think one of the things that we can solve just across the board and when when I sit down with people again is that people side of things. If I have people who are trying to say solve a problem the same way they've always solved a problem and it's not working, well, clearly we need to look at it from a different perspective. So how do we then shift that point of view and look at different ways to unlock those bottlenecks? And once we've unlocked some of those bottlenecks, that's when we start optimizing processes. But if you try to start optimizing processes before you understand the pain and before you unlock any of your bottlenecks, you're just going to end up with more bottlenecks and more pain. It doesn't work. So typically when I sit down with somebody, that's where we start and say, okay, we want to end up here. These are currently the problem zones. Let's see how we unlock those. And then once those are unlocked, we can start looking at the optimization and arriving at your goal. I agree. There's two approaches to this. You can start with, right, what are your problem statement? You know, why do you want to go to the cloud? What's driving that? A lot of it would be around your challenges and pain points of today's operating model. The other piece is, where should you be? What's the vision? And I believe that is a conversation as opposed to telling them what the vision is. And sometimes they need help with that. For example, you may ask provocative questions. Do you think there is a potential CISO or CIO that Traditionally, operating as a cost sensor, there is an opportunity that you can leverage the cloud to then convert yourself towards a profit center model, or rather where you can map and correlate your work streams within cost center to a profit center. What if I told you that is a possibility? If they need some concrete examples, well, you could say, okay, what if I told you that there is an opportunity to realize that a developer can autonomously deploy production workloads with zero human intervention and zero necessarily a change approval process itself. What if I told you that is possible? And it's not just the cloud, it's the operating model and the consumption model, the combination of that, that would help you get there. But if they were to reciprocate, that then helps us and the, and the C-levels really come to a, a point of collaboration and mutually agree, okay, regardless of the constraints or logistical challenges that may come to it, let us in principle agree that is utopia. Then you start to work your way backwards. And again, back to Sarah's point, this is where understanding where the biggest constraints are, that there are constraints today that stop you from your usual operational processes. But if we have a different vision now, the vision being more towards this developer autonomy uh, and the developer velocity at an exponential rate, maybe the constraint is a different constraint now. We need to have that conversation and mutually agree that this is a nice place to be. Let's even say, I don't know, 10 years from now or five years from now, what does that mean today 
from people and process business. I remember a famous quote from my former CIO, for every dollar we spend in IT, it has to be a dollar invested, right? So if you really think about that, to Sarah's point, you, you know, I've never seen, well, I mean, I have actually, but I've seen it fail. I've never really seen any technology be implemented just for the sake of technology, right? It's always been implemented to serve some part of the business, right? And even some of the fundamental stuff, you know, like Windows operating systems or Linux operating systems or whatever. I mean, they're not there just so you can run Windows, right? They're there so that you can host applications and you can do things that the business needs. I think from that point of view, asking the question about why are we doing what we're doing, I think is fundamental to everything. I wonder actually about developers, you know, and historically we've had all sorts of challenges around development, right? Whether that be in the methodologies that we've used with waterfall moving to agile or whether that's you know when we went through several years ago you know there was almost a new development framework and a new language every other week and and being able to bring those in and being able to try them and being able to get people productive on them you know i, I think has it been a challenge right i mean it's been, always been a challenge from infrastructure point of view just because you had so much choice across vendors and technologies or whatever but then you know as the infrastructure piece kind of became commodity and i'm going to use that term sort of loosely you know, we, we then focused on what the developer experience is and how we can get, get developers to be more productive. I think the flip side of that still, and, and you know, and I, I don't necessarily see this discussed a lot, but I'd like to get your guys' view on it. Because if I'm putting my CIO hat on, you know, I'm sort of less interested about the underlying technologies, honestly, than being interested about, you know, how can I get people productive? How can I get more bang for the book? And how can I get things into my business that either help me with efficiencies or help me to bring new services to market or both in ever faster ways in the face of ever increasing competition, right? That's what I look at from my my CIO hat. Yeah, I care about operational elements, security and resiliency and performance and all that sort of stuff. But my real KPIs are what does the application do for the business, right? The bit that I don't get or hear get talked about a lot is are we actually making progress on how we define what the application is supposed to do from a business perspective, right? So I'm going to change gears a little bit on the, on the answer deal, because I think if you look at our cloud survey, so every year for the last few years, we've done a state of the cloud survey. And, and the one that we did for 2023 was released the back end of June. If I'm a CIO or a CTO or somebody in the line of business, my number one concern is how can I find the best people, right? How can I find the best people? How can I get them into my organization? How can I get them productive? And how can they help me get to where our business goals, to Sarah's point, aspire to be? And then if you look at the survey results, the number one inhibitor is skills shortage, as not necessarily just to, to multi-cloud because the technologies are hard, but skills shortages in general. My question to you guys is when when we think about that in conversations with with C-level folks, how do we help them with that challenge of getting the difficult work or the tedious or the tiresome or the non-cognitive heavy work out of the way so that we can actually free up more human capital, more human intellect to do the things that humans are really good at? I think you bring up some really good points when it comes to people particularly, and that I will also kind of piggyback on what you said previously about not having seen applications in production that didn't serve a purpose. Very much our experiences are flipped where you've operated for so long in the Americas and I in Europe. I've seen a lot of applications with not a lot of purpose be rolled out in production environments, also within highly regulated environments. And I think part of that dovetails on that people issue. Some companies and some organizations are so afraid to see attrition 
that they're letting developers do whatever they want to do. They're saying, take it, run. We want you to be able to do what you want. Now, I think part of that is they want to speed the time to market. The other side of that is the attrition card, because we know that for every open headcount, we've lost approximately 1 million in potential revenue. So the question then becomes, how do you start unifying all of that? And how do you make sure that people are doing what they want to do, which is very clearly innovate, create new things, bring value to the business and solve business problems. But then there's still these kind of remediative tasks that have to be done. And that's business. That's how it works, right? But then, you know, to your point, where's the middle line? And how do you figure out where that is? And I believe it was the Harvard Business Review I was reading the other day said that you're going to have two types of tasks, essentially. You're going to have the ones that are priority and you're going to have the ones that are urgent. And the way that you know that you're adding value to the business really comes when you start automating the things that are priority, because the priority are the tasks that come back time and time again, but take a pretty large cognitive load, but don't necessarily add a lot of business value to what people are doing. So if you can go ahead and prioritize those and automate them, then that sets you up for in a really good place to really move that innovation forward. And you get that really nice balance between optimization of process and also room for innovation. Whereas we know that optimization for process is key for controlling costs, but then that innovation is ultimately at the end of the day, what's going to bring revenue and create a successful business. But people are absolutely the key to doing that. I want to challenge the skill shortages dichotomy right or the this this challenge in itself when i've had conversations with a number of organizations around this challenge of skill shortage i found patterns for example security team has deployed vault and now they want to spend an entire year investing around an adoption plan enablement plan a training plan for developers to be able to consume vault that's a high cognitive load with maybe little to no value or rather Actually, could that not be abstracted away so that they don't have to worry about this? Maybe there's a skill shortage around Vault. But well, what if Vault, we were managing Vault, say using Terraform, at which point you're able to integrate or embed some Vault Secrets engine as part of a, a wider Terraform module. Then from a developer perspective, all they care about is consuming that Terraform module for their application solution. There are clearly still gaps, and I don't deny that, right? There are gaps in, and there are shortage of skills, but we have to understand how do we focus that and how do we shift the focus of the, those skill shortages? And how is it that actually coming back to maybe leading to the point around abstraction, how do we build enough abstraction that allows the developer to really focus around their business solution and their application solution, but at the same time, it's not so abstracted away that you're unable to troubleshoot or or even kind of collaborate with back to the platform team um, and the operations teams around how all the different parts are working. So I think it, the skill shortage is a secondary purpose. Rather, I think if we start having principal designs, and again, I make this point, is this cloud consumption model, you make this your principal focus, that really shifts a number of these different conversations to a different point of route. And the skill shortage conversation, while it's still a valid conversation, you have a different angle to that. Unbelievably, and I'm going to make an admission here to the listeners, this is my 30th year in technology. And of course, a lot of that was spent in a very large enterprise. And a lot of that was spent on the vendor side. 
if somebody asked me like what's the number one thing that you've taken over the last 30 years i would say that that in technology we constantly live in a world of contradiction and i'll give you an example so the survey goes on to say that 74% of high maturity companies and i want to get to that point in a second say that multi cloud helps them to attract motivate and retain talent so to your point of deal right so my question and this is one that i i sort of wrangle with a lot is how do we define high maturity right because every customer's environment is different every customer we know is respectfully a snowflake just because of the way they do business and the technologies that they've had historically and the strategies that they have and the people that they have so if you really think about that and you say okay well if i believe that some folks in the survey have said that the number one inhibitor to more progress is a skill shortage and yet 74% of folks say that when you get to high maturity it's a better world what advice would you give to organizations that are on the journey and they're figuring out the next year or the year after that's worth of goals and things that we need to attain how do you actually align those goals with the outcomes that i suspect you would need to get to to reach those goals to get to that point of high maturity i would take it back to the three phases of the um cloud adoption and cloud operating model the the adoption standardized and scale right now at face value one may translate adoption as oh go ahead and do what you like go ahead and uh, play with the cloud have your own account go ahead and try terraform i would shift that view to say actually let's translate adopt to mean that hey platform team let's go ahead go ahead and build a very lean platform enough to allow a non critical application to be able to test in the cloud and consume the cloud and let's revolve around that at which point when we when we talk about adoption what we're saying is that let's help this this application or this persona of applications to adopt to consume and then start to iteratively build the the, the rest of the platform and products as such around them so you take that application from ideation all the way to production and then you will produce a set of patterns from there i think the challenge with organizations is that oh how do we get to maturity or how do we address the skill shortage everything is looked at as how do we do it at scale we try to boil the ocean from day one rather actually the same principles apply if you all, all you need to do is to scale it down which allows you to move you know and as the, as the word says be agile and pivot but allows you to move quicker right and then from that when you the success that comes out of that you could say if we use the whole uh 2080 rule right where the 20% of effort that's going in and we come up with 80% of success establishes some base pattern now back to the point of skills i just need i don't know five platform engineers five developers let's put them together let's take a opinionated view of this non critical application all the way to production and then whatever comes out of those whether they're components whether they're products or solutions all of these stuff come they serve as a base pattern for the next cohort again if you're opinionated as to the persona of the cohort so for example i gave the the first persona of the cohort being uh non critical but also simple in architecture then the next cohort should be incrementally different in their architectural complexity which point means that majority of their needs should have been addressed by the first cohort let's only focus on the incremental differences so if there's five applications in the first cohort we should be confident with 15 applications on the second cohort and then we should be confident with 50 applications on the third cohort and so on and so forth so there are approaches 
but a leap of faith is required. I have to admit that I really struggle with this definition because maturity for me feels like a moving target. What was mature five years ago due to technological changes and what's available on the market today is not what I would consider to be mature today. So to label organizations high maturity, finding a definition for that is is difficult, I think. Then when we talk about scales, as an industry, again, I think we get really narrow-minded in terms of what do we consider to be skills. Just because I you know, know GCP and not AWS doesn't mean that I'm not capable of learning or transferring some of that knowledge back and forth. So I think we need to be really careful as well in terms of how we're identifying skills. One of the most performant teams that I've ever built in my life was when the organization got out of my way and said, okay, you do what you need to do you know what you need, build your team. And I ended up with a really odd looking team from the outside. I had a former teacher, I had an autodidact hacker, I had uh, kind of the wunderkind who was fresh out of school, knew everything, shiny and new, um, both at high level and low level operating. I had myself, I'm a former opera singer. Then we had the one guy, traditional computer science, who was able to kind of pull all of that together and make a little bit more sense of it in terms of architectural structures. But the velocity and the performance on that team was incredible. The trust that we had, and we were able to take a really legacy organization and do some pretty incredible things with it just because it was a different set of skills and because we were able to look at the problem a little bit differently. So I think we need to be really careful both in what we call maturity but also what we call, what are actual skills? I want to quote a former friend of mine, Grant Webb, who's in Google Cloud right now. He always mentions this. He goes, today's legacy was yesterday's transformation, but it would always change. And whatever was considered mature at one point is no longer mature. It's a really prudent point, I think. So let, let's talk a little bit about that T word then, transformation. I mean, we've been hearing about digital transformation for Oh, I don't know, 10 years now. If you think about some of the things that we've seen along the way, some of the enablers of that or some of the fundamental building blocks we've had to have in place, not just on the skill side, but on you know organizational alignment. We had the the great mythical DevOps, which, you know, to be honest, was kind of a, a difficult thing to label and an even more difficult thing to build and operate, in my experience. And now, you know, um, this notion of platform engineering and the platform team. Again, going back to the survey, which is kind of interesting because I, I like to use these numbers because this actually surprised me as well, even more than the 74% that we mentioned. Uh, one of the survey results was that 92% of organizations rely on platform teams. And to me, that was staggeringly high because, and again, in the conversations that we've had, I think there are some real world examples of how platform teams have been created, have been enabled and have provided value. But back to my point about contradictions, I don't think that there's many examples outside of some of the more well-known folks like Spotify or others who are, I wouldn't class as a traditional enterprise by, by any means. I think folks generally are trying to figure out, okay, so we had this thing called DevOps. We didn't really know what that was about. And we built some stuff and we got people working together better. Along comes the notion of, of a platform team, which seems in many cases, depending on what you read, to be 
either a fundamental cornerstone or a panacea or both of this step towards a better maturity. And I agree with you, Sarah, by the way. I mean, high maturity, okay, you know, and I will always say compared to what? Right. So, you know, exactly. Lower maturity. (laughs) But I think if you think about that question, you know, and we go back to to kind of raise it to 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 a sea level who are trying to figure out the people and process side of that triangle that we talked about, you know, because the technology, I think, to your point, Adil, the technologies, even within the confines of what we're building in platform teams and guardrails and golden paths and paved roads, they will change by definition, just like we we're unable ultimately in enterprise IT to mandate standards, right? That's kind of the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like we have a standard laptop and a standard desktop. and Well, guess what? You don't anymore, right? Because things like bring your own device, blew that theory, you know, into a million pieces. So we think about this piece about platform teams, platform engineering. I kind of struggle with a clear definition that really resonates with C-level folks. And you say, look, if you build this thing, it's going to help you by a factor of X, and so give me your opinion on not only what does a platform team look like and, and what does it do, but how, how would you get started and why is it different than DevOps and why is it different than things that we've seen before? So I'm going to jump on my little soapbox here currently. Everyone says they're doing platform team, but nobody can seem to give a definition of what it is. What does it do? What is its ultimate goal at the end of the day? Yeah, it's to increase you know, your velocity and diminish some of the cognitive load for developers and engineers across the board. But why do you want it in your organization? I would love for somebody, myself included, to be able to give me the definition of that. I have a very clear picture in my head about what a platform looks like and what a platform team would look like, how you know your various planes might be set up. But at the end of the day, there's not really an agreed upon solution that's industry adopted. I want to touch on a few points that Christian has meant there. Let's talk about the transformation piece, right? I think... The challenge with transformation or digital transformation is that the budget and and timeline, it's finite. It's a one-time event, maybe across 10 years or whatever. The notion of digital transformation needs to change away from digital transformation towards continuous transformation and accept that rebooting your cloud journey, going to say cloud 2.0 or 3.0, it's okay because you've taken lessons learned from your first iteration and you start again. Without that business target and aim, you're just building a platform with no kind of purpose. And so even if you do do cloud 2.0 and 3.0, it needs to be driven and revolved around the set of application, business applications that you will be taking, you will be facilitating and helping to take the market. Now, coming back to the platform team, there, as you say, right, there are diff- several definitions of platform team. The other observation that I've made is every team claims to be the platform team of their enterprise. Next thing you know, there's four different platform teams. My view is it's okay in the sense that at least you're wanting to adopt some kind of notion. Now, how do you unify that? Maybe you bring together or stand up a practice, a platform foundations practice, and another practice around product portfolio practice, where these practices, don't, they don't necessarily own the platforms as such, but they are there to really embody the guiding principles, they can be different definitions from org to org, whatever makes sense. It comes back to, again, the ultimate business objective. And then if you revolve around that business objective, I think that it's whatever makes sense there. Because there is also another evolution beyond the platform team, right? You have the data platform team, but then even before beyond that, 
you have the platform team and the notion of a product catalog. Well, the evolution to that would be solutions catalog. So at which point are we then saying the evolution of platform engineers? And I agree, and I think it's okay, depending on where you are in your journey, but even the, the, the notion of platform engineers will evolve to solutions engineers, or internal solutions engineers, because you've now proliferated and reached to a tipping point of all your product catalogs and the pattern that you're seeing is, well, okay, you have two, like, like AWS, right? 200, 300 service, services and, and products. How do I know which one to use? Well, that's where your platform team or platform engineer or solutions engineer will come in to say, all right, what are you trying to build? Okay, this data streaming thing. Okay, well, let's take this product, that product, bring it together. There you go. Let's work with that. Now, I think there's another point that Christian made was when, okay, well, how do we get the C-level, convince them? And okay, well, what does good look like? What's the target here? I think it comes back to, you mentioned KPIs and you mentioned, okay, well, I'm mentioning OKRs, but KPIs will drive the OKRs and OKRs, objective key results, they manifest through experimentation and having a set of hypotheses and validating that. So really it's a journey at a very high level. There are some business principles and every year it's okay to change some of those manifested OKRs as long as we are seeing that, hey, we are still edging towards trying to meet some of these KPIs. And we're almost at time for this episode. So I want to just bring it back to the one of the key things that we mentioned at the start around the cloud operating model. And you know my view that it's a really simple way of conceptualizing and internalizing the kind of the three main steps that you need, right? Of course, there's a ton of detail between those steps. If you start to think about where the HashiCorp products can be utilized and deployed to really help, you know, companies go from from the journey, from the, the tactical all the way to ultimately the scaling. Just give me 30 seconds on, you know, where, where do you see each of the, the main HashiCorp products being able to help in that journey? I mean, you Terraform, obviously, for standardization across the board, also for implementing things like policy as code that'll automatically set you up in terms of some control and what you're getting as an output. I think that even ties into the security side of things, to be perfectly honest, and especially, you know, if you need to do something about a supply chain attack or something like that, then you absolutely have to have one single golden flow so you don't end up with something like solar winds in the US government. And then just naturally being able to secure an identity or secure and broker identity across the board. So things like Vault for that. Um and encryption and transit. Again, we're going to see with particularly European legislation here, there's some new directives in play since the 10th of July. So we're going to see that also become um, a little bit of a question. So being able to secure that data in transit is also going to become a lot more key. Our products we have multi-purpose. You can't justify Vault as a secrets manager. It's more than that, right? Uh, so therefore, at different stages of a cloud journey, they all have relevance. And let's talk a bit from a, a platform journey and the phases of those journey and, or a cloud. They, you can break them down into the initial three or four stages, right? There's platform foundations, but also where you would establish your shared services, your identity and your, your networking, because this is where you would need to kind of identify and establish different various different constructs. There are global constructs which are globally in scope, you know, with the bootstrapping. And there are constructs which can be scoped to, uh, and you can say, consider them as service constructs, but scope to a uh, an application. So networking, if that's a global construct, then, okay, console comes into play. Uh, 
and then securing even those, right, and establishing an identity, an identity broker. So Terraform Vault, Console, and Boundary would fit in that platform foundations where you're not only bootstrapping, but you have shared service. Then the next stage is where you have, consider landing zones and account vending process. Again, Terraform is relevant, as is Console, as is Vault, as is Boundary. Because you would want to start to create, uh, again, you know, principle of least privileged access and establishing those constructs that are scoped to the application. For example, Terraform projects, vault namespaces, or boundary projects and console namespaces. If there is a design and architecture to say, hey, we're going to scope all of these as part of an account vending process because they share the same lifecycle. And we'll also map this back to an AWS account uh, and a GitHub repository, uh, XYZ. And then... I think when it comes to product catalog and beyond is where I see there is a difference. I still, you have the kind of the Terraform vault console uh, and boundary there. But in addition to that, no matter waypoint really play a, a lot stronger role to help establish patterns around a product, uh, especially consumption patterns uh, and uh, and deployment product patterns or, or of those products. That wasn't 30 seconds. That was like one minute. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was quite hard to actually summarize that in 30 seconds. Well, on that note, speaking of time, we are out of time for the first episode here. I would like to thank uh, my guests here, Sarah Poland, my fellow CTO here in EMEA and Adil, uh, uh, I don't know what you are, Adil, our resident solutions, massive brain. <laughs> Strategic so advisor, so right? <laughs> and my role is ambiguous. <laughs> most importantly, thank you to everybody else for listening to the HashiCast Cloud Navigator podcast, helping you on the journey to cloud adoption. If you'd like to learn more about the cloud operate model or for further information about HashiCorp and what we can do for you, please feel free to visit us at www.hashicorp.com. And coming up on the next episode is one of my favorite topics. It's a deep dive into overcoming the skills gap. Sarah and I will be joined by the EMEA recruitment lead for HashiCorp, James Footman, and we'll be addressing the importance of the skills gap and how we can give you some really good guidance on how to overcome that gap in cloud technology and in developing the next generation with a human-centric approach. 